Okay, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And today, beginning Advent, we don't uh, follow the church calendar as such uh, in, our, in our denomination, but Advent is the period beginning four Sundays before Christmas and, and, as, and is observed as a season of prayer and fasting. So it is more than just an Advent calendar that we have for the kids that we open up and get a promise every day of, the, uh, every day of December until Christmas. But it's a day, uh, a period of time that we celebrate in observance of Christ's coming. And it is a, well, I think of it in our, in our society that uh, it is something that is, that is overlooked a lot. Because of the commercialism and uh, the celebration of Christmas that you've got to um, you know, buy certain things and have a certain amount of money spent in order to have a wonderful Christmas. But that's not, the just, that's not the importance of Christmas. The importance of Christmas is that Christ has come and we celebrate his birth and the incarnation, God with us. And, you know, I'm not knocking a lot of presents or a few presents. It's the idea of what we celebrate it for. Now, with you, if you were, whatever, six, four, five, I don't know, whenever you start remembering, uh, Jackson, our grandson, wanted to know if um, Santa Claus was going to wrap his, his presents again in Charlie Brown Christmas, present, Christmas paper. You know, it was like, and he was three last year when he opened his presents, and he says, you think, Santa Claus is going to wrap my presents in Charlie Brown Christmas paper. You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> Guess what we bought? Charlie Brown Christmas paper. So, um, but it's, you know, it's, uh, the things that people remember, the things that we celebrate. And, and that's what's so important about Christmas and about the holidays is that you forget the presents, but you never forget the atmosphere. You never forget the family. You never forget the traditions that you establish as families and friends. And so as we prepare, we want to make sure we prepare our hearts. We want to prepare the interaction of individuals, preparing ourselves. There, there are uh, a family or two that come just on Christmas Eve that never have come to our church any other time. But they, they've told me a number of times, you know, going to your church on Christmas Eve is just, just sets the mood for Christmas for our family. And, you know, they don't even, they've never been to our church on a Sunday morning. But there's a couple of families that come on Christmas Eve. They go to other, they have another church that they attend any other time. But they come here on Christmas Eve because it is something so very special to them. And it's, it has become, for them, a family tradition. And so as we put in place these family traditions, we are establishing them. And we are establishing them as something that is very, as tradition, but also as something that really makes the Christmas season, that makes the holiday that we celebrate as Christmas, the birth of Christ, so very important. And so as we look at Advent, as we look at the beginning of this Christmas season, we, I, I, I thought of Hebrews chapter 1. Now, and say, well, what does that have to do with the, the birth of Christ? Well, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish believers, and it was written about 70 A.D., 
And the Jewish believers were having a very difficult time in their faith. They have, here they have a faith that was established, the Jewish faith, was established by um, various prophets and so on, established by God himself. And they have this faith that they have in, in Judaism was a divine design. It was there by, the, you know, by God's written by the finger of God, the Ten Commandments. We have the prophets, how they described God, the God of promise, and how that God had established promises throughout the Old Testament. And he revealed the way of forgiveness through the sacrifices and through the sacrificial system and the way of the, of the temple and the altars and the, and the ceremonial washings and, and all the sacrifices and things like that. But then we have how that Christ came and how that he fulfilled the law and the sacrifices and how that he fulfilled all of these things and how that Christ conquered sin, over sin, by his sacrificial death. And so we find then how that God, through Christ, removed the barriers to God that Jesus Christ came and removed all barriers that stood between God and man. Sometimes, do you ever feel like you're kind of alone in this thing? <laughs> Sometimes we're alone in our faith, that it seems like I pray and God doesn't hear me as if there is a barrier. Well, <clears throat> those barriers that we imagine exist do not exist because Christ has removed them. So whenever we come to communion, whenever we come to uh, looking at and feeling like our barrier, there's walls there between us and God, we can come back to our, the basics of our faith, which is our forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, and how that we focus on that forgiveness, and if we, we confess our sins, he forgives us, and all barriers between us are broken. So the barriers between God and man are completely demolished, destroyed, obliterated because of the death of Christ upon the cross. And so the Messiah was a, was a very difficult concept then for the Jewish believers, the Jewish Christians who had left Judaism and had come to believe in Jesus Christ. And here we have the people of the Jewish faith of the, that would be connected to the Old Testament and rejecting Jesus, they were creating a lot of trials and a lot of problems for the, the converts to Christianity that were Jews. So there was this conflict going on, and the writer to the Hebrews is telling them, the Jewish Christians, that you have accepted the better way. Christ is the more excellent way, and that God, through Jesus Christ, has come to be with us. And as we read the first chapter of Hebrews, we find how that this is the beginning of Advent, the beginning of how that they were to understand how that Jesus Christ has come to be part of their life. So long ago, verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 1, long ago at different times in various ways, God's voice came to our ancestors through the Hebrew prophets. So, at various times and in different ways, God spoke. We have how that Moses, 
Moses came, he was called by God, you know, led the children of Israel out of captivity of Egypt and how that he received the law, the Ten Commandments, and, you know, he, he's the author of the first five books of the Bible, and, and we have how God spoke through Moses, and then we have how God spoke through Isaiah and the different prophets. A virgin shall conceive and, and bear a child. We read that in the book of Isaiah, and, and how that Jacob and his dreams, and, you know, all these things come together, and how that God spoke in various times in different ways through the prophets. Then verse 2. But in these last days. Now, sometimes people have read that from our perspective. Say, well, these are the last days. Well, it primarily focuses on, it's now 70 AD when this, this is being written. It's 70 years since, uh, approximately seven years since the birth and death of re- and resurrection of Jesus. And so in these last days, in these last 70 years, it has come to us through his son, meaning Jesus, that the one who has been given dominion over all things and through whom whom all worlds were made. So here it has come to us, and who is he writing to? He's writing to Jewish Christians, and he's telling him, in these last days, in these last 70 years, by Jesus, all things who... He was there at creation. Jesus was there at creation. He just didn't come as a baby in a manger. He is God become flesh. And so here it is from the very beginning, the writer to the Hebrews is telling them, the same God who was there at the very beginning that we read from Moses In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. So in that very beginning, the same God who was there at that time is the same God who came to us in Jesus Christ. And by him all things were created, and the coming of Christ is more than this babe in a manger. It is God becomes man, Emmanuel, God with us. And then verse 3, this is the one, the imprint, imprinted with God's image, shimmering with his glory, sustains all that exists through the power of his word. God became flesh and dwelt among us. The imprint of God's image. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And here are the believers in Jesus who are Jewish and they know all of the rituals and the traditions of Judaism and now the writer here is telling them here is the image of God among us and who he, who sustain through him all things exist exist by what by the power of his word so when God spoke the world into existence Same Jesus, same God who was there described by Moses is the same God, Jesus, who came to be with us and by the power of his word, everything exists. Think back of the miracles. Think back of how that Jesus, which is easier for me to say, your sins be forgiven or rise up and walk. The power of his word. Which is easier for me to say? 
And, and the, the people who were <laughs> in conflict with Christ, well, they, they, would, they couldn't come to an answer. Well, which is easiest to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Which of them is easier? Well, here the writer to the Hebrews is telling them everything exists and continues to exist by the power of his word. The power of his word. He speaks, and what happens? Everything changes. The world speaks and the calms the sea. He prays over five loaves and two fishes. And what happens? They feed 5,000 men plus women and children. His word has a way of describing and multiplying and making things work. So as we take the word of God and apply it to our lives, we find that there's things that change. Do this in remembrance of me. As you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember what happened, what took place on, the, on Calvary and at the cross. You remember what took place at the tomb, the resurrection. You remember what took place at Pentecost. You remember what takes place whenever we confess our sins, we are forgiven. You remember what will take place that you will spend an eternity with me in heaven. Through his word, all of these things come together. And, 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 and it starts to... Now, well, we'll read the next verse. Um, he was seated at the right hand of God. Once he himself uh, had made the offering and purified us from our sins. So Jesus, after the sacrifice of the cross, after his resurrection and ascension to heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he has purified us from our sins, that we are forgiven, that there is this grace and the establishment of God's amazing grace, God's amazing power within our lives. Verse 4, this Son of God is elevated as far above the heavenly messengers as holy name is elevated above theirs that this Son of God is elevated. <laughs> the name of Jesus is greater than the names and titles of angels. The name of Jesus. The Gaithers made a song 30 years ago. Jesus, there's just something about that name. You know, Master, Savior. At the name of Jesus, things change. At the end of our prayers, in Jesus' name, we pray. What are we doing? Is that just a, a cliche that we put at the end of a prayer? Or is it, is it a request that we are, uh, you know, Jesus, start off our prayers with the name? The name of Jesus is higher and greater than any title given to man or given to angels. Any power greater than man the name of Jesus is higher than any of those powers. Any power that is named that is greater than human, any spiritual power, Jesus is a name greater than all of those. And so at the name of Jesus, book of Revelation, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. At the name of Jesus, everything changes. Jesus is the nature of God. He is the nature of man, incarnation. God became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, this was a very important part 
for the Hebrews to understand because most images of angels, most of the time they thought that angels were, they are superior beings to humans, but they, and there, were, there were parts of aspects of the, the culture at that time that believed that um, you can't get to Jesus unless you go through an angel. <laughs> there were theologies about angels that uh, put them in places that were ministering to us, ministering to, to humans, and that without angels we can't get to heaven. Well, that was this writer to the Hebrews is telling them there is only one name and it is greater than any name of an angel or whatever because angels literally means messengers. And um, they are individuals who are messengers sent from God to man. What do we have in the Christmas story? We have an angel, Gabriel, coming to Mary. Mary, you're going to have a child. And, well, how can these things be? I'm not, I don't know a man. I've not been married. How can I have a child? Well, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The angel is the messenger. Whenever Jesus is resurrected from the dead, where are the angels? Where are they at? They're in the tomb. What do they say? Why do you look for the living among the dead? They make these declarations. And at the name of Jesus, he is greater than any created thing. Jesus, the name of Jesus is greater than any created thing. And that they, they recog the, the angels recognize their place and they are going to bow down before this sovereign Lord. And so as some of the early then teachings or doctrines taught that God could only be approached through angels, <laughs> some thought of Jesus as just the highest angel of God. But Jesus is not the highest angel of God. Jesus is God incarnate. He is God become flesh and dwelt among us. That this, this Son of God is elevated as far above the heavenly messengers as his holy name is elevated above theirs. That at the name of Jesus, it is above every other name. <laughs> Whenever we find people in a crisis, what do they say? Jesus. <laughs> it's kind of awkward sometimes. We were walking into a store, and this guy I heard behind me, he was going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> but he was not thinking of the same Jesus I was. <laughs> he was not repeating the name of Jesus. I was, I was kind of shocked because I'd never heard someone just walk into a store and then start cursing with the name of Jesus, repeating the name three or four times, and then, of course, adding uh, the name of Jesus Christ to his declaration. And he wasn't praying, of course. He was cursing. And, and it just took me by surprise that he would mention the name of Jesus three or four times and then use it, follow it up with some type of curse. And it's something how that people will take the name of Christ and use it in a profane way. Why don't, we use, why don't, why don't they use some other name? Why don't they use David. <laughs> David, David, David. <laughs> well, what does that mean? I don't know, just David. 
What does it mean when people take the name of Jesus and they use it in vain? Why is it that the name of Jesus is taken in vain for cursings and swearings and things like that? Why don't they use some other name? Because it doesn't have power. And when you are derogatory and you, when you are degrading the power of God, you will attach the name of God to something derogatory. And so whenever you are trying to tear away from that which is sacred, you take that which is sacred and attach it to that which is not sacred. That's why cursing is not, that's why cursing is not for a Christian. Because we are not attaching something sacred to something that is derogatory. We are attaching that which is sacred to our prayer in Jesus' name. That's our prayer. And so here is the name that is greater than all names in the universe, greater and more powerful than anything created. It is the name of God, eternal, creator of heaven and earth. His name is Jesus He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And so whenever we pray, we are attaching that which is all-powerful at whose name, at, at whose word, all things hold together. Everything holds together by the word of God and by his promise. So when we pray, we are asking God, we are wanting to see God work through our prayers. That's why we, in Jesus' name, we pray. And this do in remembrance of Jesus, of the work that he has accomplished on the cross and his resurrection. For no heavenly messenger, verse 5, for no heavenly messenger have ever heard God address them with these words of the psalm. And this is what follows. Ye are my son, today I have become your father. In Jewish families, the firstborn son would hold the highest privileges and responsibilities. So the Jewish reader would understand Jesus was superior to any created being by reading these words. Whenever the Jewish family or Jewish individual would read this word, he would find that Jesus is the highest authority and highest privilege of the Father. And then, or hear him promise this, it says, I will, be you, I will be to you a father, you will be to me a son. Jesus, Jesus shall be the foundation and the fountain of every gracious relationship the father and man would have. Jesus is the fountain of which things flow, and he is the foundation upon which we stand that everything that comes from the Father comes through Christ to us. Now, when the Son, when the Son, the firstborn of God, Mary, you're going to bring forth a child. You're not going to be, in the normal sense, with a man, but the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And the firstborn son. And what are you going to do with the God of the universe? You're going to lay him in a manger. In a piece of stone that has been cut out of the wall where we feed cattle. That's where the son of God, the greatest Emmanuel, God with us, 
the angels. No one else has this distinct place or privilege. Now when the Son, the firstborn of God, was brought into the world, God said, let all my heavenly messengers worship him. All of the angels worshipped Jesus. All beings supernatural to man, angels worshipped him. And what glory to God, they all came together, the shepherds on the, on the hillside, and, you know, God wants you to go to Bethlehem, and there you're going to find a babe. You're going to find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And there with the, the multitude, there with the angel was a multitude of angels declaring glory to God in the highest. He's worshipped by all of the angels of heaven have come together to celebrate this birth. Concerning them, God said, I make my heavenly message, messengers like the winds, the angels, that people want to worship, they are messengers, like the wind. They are zealous, and they are my servants like a flame. They are light. These messengers are, are zealous, and they are light, and there the angels of heaven lit up. They lit up the heavens. Glory to God in the highest. And the, the shepherds were just in amazement of the declaration of all of these angels. And the book of Hebrews is telling them, this is what happened. This is, this is kind of like without saying and declaring what we read in the Gospel of Luke and, and as we read about the birth of Christ. It doesn't speak of it exactly, but it speaks of it figuratively about the angels and their, and their place. Verse 8. But to the Son, he said... But to the Son, he said. This is a Jewish audience. To the Son, he said, God, your throne is eternal. You will rule your kingdom with the scepter of justice. Jesus has the scepter. <laughs> the scepter of righteousness. Did you know, in, in the ancient time, a king would hold a scepter. And the scepter meant he had all authority and power. And should he desire to step down from his authority, he would give the scepter to another. When Joseph was, ruler, uh, was second in command in Egypt, what did Pharaoh do? He took off his ring and put his ring upon Joseph's finger that he had the seal of the authority and when Jesus, he will have the scepter of righteousness, that he has the scepter, that, that he has all authority is given in Jesus' name. So whenever we pray, the scepter of righteousness, the scepter, and what does he say here? You have, you loved what is right, and you hated what is evil. So here is the scepter of righteousness that despises that which is evil. You love what is right. And whenever we pray in Jesus' name, we are declaring that which is right before God. We would never pray for God to hurt someone. We would never pray for God to do harm to someone. We would pray for God to work in people's lives. We would pray that God would, would work in us and do a good work, a healing work, a restoration. And you see, God despises what is evil. He loves that which is right. That is why God, your God, has anointed you 
with the oil of gladness and lifted you above your companions. Thanksgiving. Last week's sermon. Give thanks every day, always, and all things. Why? Because we give thanks because we see God in everything. Well, how can you see God in everything? Can we see God in the crucifixion? Yes, as we look back on it. Yes, God was there, but did Mary and, and, and the, the disciples, did, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, do they see God in everything? No, all of their hopes or dreams are despair. But God is there. In our life, we give thanks because we believe that God is there. Jesus, who is a name greater than all names, he is above all authority, all power, and in Jesus' name, we believe that God is at work even when we can't see him, so we give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks. Why? Because we, see, we want to see God in the difficulties. And God's commandment in the beginning, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth. Jesus was there, the originator. He was the one who could have began, who could have um, been ruler of the earth. But he turned that over to man. And he set the skies above with his own hands. Put the stars in place as if he, he just flung them into place. But while... But while they will someday pass away, you remain forever. You know, the stars, sky, the earth, it's all going to wear out like a garment. We see in the next verses how he folds them up and puts them away. Heaven and earth are going to pass away. Everything that we look at, everything that we, you know, we walk on, we use, someday it's going to be gone. The sun, the moon, the stars, the sky, the earth, everything's going to be gone. God will create a new heaven and a new earth. And you know, they're all going to go. Verse says, uh, they will someday pass away, verse 11. But they wear out like old clothes. The earth wears out like an old cloth, like an old clothes, like an old garment. Verse 12, you will roll them up. You're going to roll them up. You're, gonna roll, you're going to roll the world up like a garment and change them into something new. But you will never change. Your years will never come to an end. <laughs> your years, the name of Jesus and his kingdom will never come to an end. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I have done, what I have accomplished, what I am doing. And the writer to the Hebrews is telling him, look at this more excellent way. Look at this name and this person who is above every name. Verse 13. Did God ever say to an angel, to his heavenly messengers, sit here at my right hand in the seat of honor and I'll put your enemies under your feet? Never said that to an angel, but to Christ, it is there. Verse 14. No, of course not. The heavenly messengers are only spirits and servants sent out to minister to those who will certainly inherit salvation. The angels are sent out as messengers. We see them and we think of them in the Christmas story. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. 
you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with them the angels, the multitude of heavenly hosts, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. The angels are messengers. The angels are declaring the message of God. But the name of Jesus, the one they are declaring, Emmanuel, God with us, is the same Jesus we pray to, who's, who has the scepter of righteousness. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He carries the scepter of righteousness. All of that which is right and good and holy and lovely, he carries that. And every time we pray, we are invoking that power and that prayer and that authority that holds all things together is there in our name, the name we use, Jesus, in what it represents, the scepter of righteousness. So as we enter Advent, the Christmas season, this holy season, a season of prayer, season of fasting, it is the name of Jesus that makes everything different, makes everything right. Amen? Let's stand, shall we? So when we say Jesus, we are now want us to remember all that is implied with that, all that is part of this. He holds everything together. Whenever we pray when difficult times, what are we asking for? Jesus, hold this together. Make this, help me, help me help this work, make this work. Father, we thank you that you've heard our prayers, and as we read these scriptures, as we see what you are saying to us, especially about Jesus, the importance of that name, the greatness of that name, God, we thank you that we have a name that is above every name. We have a name that is, holds all things together. It is the name that we put and we place deliberately at the beginning and the ending of our prayers, that God, it is your name and your word that holds all of this together. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that come into our life. We ask these things in the name of, in the name of, in the name of, who holds all things together. Amen? God bless you.